0: The rare disease community is inspirational, brave, and empowering. Welcome to Insightful Moments, My Vibe from PTC Therapeutics.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to PTC's Insightful Moments, My Vibe, where we are elevating the voices of people within the rare disease community to inspire, inform, and comfort. My name is Paula Orendash and I'm the Patient Engagement Liaison at PTC Therapeutics. Recently, we attended the 28th Annual PPMD Conference for Physicians, Caregivers and Families Affected by Duchenne Muscular Dystrophy. In the wake of a diagnosis of DMD, family bonds provide one of the most solid forms of comfort and security. But this can sometimes be challenging for family members as they shoulder responsibilities and learn to communicate their needs and experiences with others. On today's episode, we speak with the family members of those diagnosed with DMD as they share their experiences with learning to communicate with family, friends, and other members of their community. We begin today's episode speaking with Jason, a single father of a son with DMD. Being a single parent can be a challenge, but with the right support system, anything is possible. Jason opens up about the importance of co-parenting and building community with others, the journey of a single parent, and how to discuss a diagnosis with your child. Welcome, Jason. Thank you so much for joining us at PTC yeah, Insight. Love it that you're here and coming to tell us a little bit about you and your family and your son. So, please tell us all about you.
0: Okay. Yeah, I'm Jason Dempsey. I live in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. My son is Jude. He's seven and a half. He was diagnosed uh, with DMD at age six, December 2020. So, right before Christmas. We are a uh, co-parenting family, I work well together with his mother and uh, you know we've rallied around him. With this diagnosis obviously it was uh, a challenging thing to discover for us but uh, I'm proud of us in a sense that we've been able to work together and, and rally around him. And the fact that we're in Cincinnati we're we go to Cincinnati Children's which is one of the top neuromuscular clinics in the country. so. If there is a lucky to any of this, it's that we are 15 minutes away from some of the best doctors in the world.
1: So tell us a little bit about the diagnostic journey. When, when So Jude was six when he was diagnosed. Yeah.
0: So a little late, obviously with DMD, you want the diagnosis as early as possible. So he wasn't diagnosed till six. Uh, we... Started the the first we noticed uh, potentially being an issue with him was toe walking when he was younger. I think we really started noticing toe walking around three or four, and um, I never really thought anything of it. Just he likes to walk on his toes sometimes. Okay, that's fun. You know, maybe that's all it is. I think his uh, some of his daycare teachers had also noticed it and kind of mentioned it as maybe a point of concern. So we brought it up to our pediatrician, and um, it's it could be a, a, a lot of different things. And uh, basically, we had identified that he just didn't have much range of motion in his feet, uh, some stiff muscles, stiff calves, things like that. So long story short, that sent us down a physical therapy path that involved uh, night braces, day braces. We did serial casting, to try to improve the range of motion in his feet to eliminate the toe walking started working on strengthening his core and basically all of the things that we shouldn't have been doing now that we know that he has dmd and so it was kind of a long journey down the wrong road but uh, eventually we had got a, a new pt our previous pt had gone on maternity leave and and this new pt right off the bat noticed some things without Jude was moving and getting off the floor and things like that. And, uh, called his pediatrician and said, maybe we should do a CK test. And, um, so we did. And, uh, his CK levels were very elevated. And, um, I don't know. That was kind of a, we were very confused and maybe even a little angry because it's like, well, no, you we, you know, he's just toe walking you know we're we're going to pt we're we've done the braces and the casting like we're just trying to strengthen his core it'll be fine and they're like no it's it's something else you know and so we were very confused that you know we had been down this path for over a year and putting him through all of these things that were not helping you know and they they had some short term benefits i guess we did you know get some stretching and got some range of motion in his feet but Ultimately, it was not addressing the real issue. And once we got put in touch with children, had the genetic testing done, you know, we were able to identify his uh, genetic mutation. And uh, so it, it was a lot to take in. But, you know, like, like looking back on it, it's I, I'm amazed that they even have the technology to be able to do that. You know, what you're going to read his DNA and figure figure out, you know, what's missing in his genes, like. I didn't even know that was a thing, you know, so obviously the diagnosis was sad, but I was encouraged that, you know, the fact that they can even diagnose it in the way that they do just shows you how far science and technology has come.
1: And so you said that you were received the diagnosis in December, 2020,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that alone being a very isolating situation, but then to compound it with the, the isolation of being in the middle of a pandemic. Sure. So how did that affect you and your family?
0: Yeah, so DMD is a very isolating disease. It's a rare disease. A lot of people don't understand it or know what it is. We didn't know what it was. So I think it's very common just in general with that diagnosis to feel isolated or feel on an island. And, you know, family and friends, they're empathetic, but they don't get it. They don't know how to help you. You know, at his age too, like he looks fine. And so they it's hard for people to understand the severity of it because right now he looks normal, you know, like there's nothing wrong. He'll be fine. So it's, it's a very lonely journey because people don't understand it. And then, you know, you mentioned 2020, obviously the pandemic, that was a whole other layer of isolation because you're not supposed to be around people. And you know, all of my family lives, a long ways away from me, you know, so my parents couldn't travel to be with me and support me. Obviously they called me a lot <laughs> to make sure I was okay, but you know, they felt bad cause they wanted to be there and help, you know, and, you know, I'm a single dad trying to navigate, uh, and she's a single mom, you know, we're trying to figure this out and we just don't have a lot of that support thanks to COVID making us stay away from everyone couldn't have family go to the hospital with you you know and it was it was a very lonely journey and you know especially with a rare disease it's there's not a lot of people in the community that know what it is or there's not a lot of other families you can interact with and that's what kind of led us to ppmd and some of these other organizations who are connecting you with you know the resources and the, the other families we got tuned into like facebook groups with parents and so i mean it's that helps a little you know and not feeling so alone Uh, but really you know being here for the annual conference is kind of my first experience and being around people who know what i'm going through you know and i don't feel like i'm on an island here it feels more normal because it's everybody's new normal and everybody's going through the same thing and so it's I think while trying to learn as much as I can, it's it's been great to make those connections so that you know we can um, hopefully take those connections home with us, those friendships home, and feel less alone.
1: And we talked a little bit about you being you know at Cincinnati Children's, and you really are in a great location when it comes to the DMD research and the science going on behind that. So I'm sure. Well, what does the support system through The medical center look like for you and and Jude?
0: Yeah, so it's a pretty large clinic. You know, they've got a bunch of great doctors, and you know, when we first started going to Cincinnati Children's, I had heard that they were a great facility. They even told us like we were there one day, and they said, "Yeah, we got a family flying in from Louisiana tomorrow." I'm like, "Man, so people are coming to Cincinnati from all over," and so like I had this awareness of them being a I guess, a pristine group. And then, really, this week coming to the conference and seeing my doctors here presenting, and it's like, wow, these guys really are rock stars, you know? And they're the ones who are working on my son. And it was cool, like just talking to them last night. And, you know, as soon as I mentioned the name Jude, they're like, oh, yeah, we love him, you know? And boy, that made me feel so much, I guess, calmer or, you know, knowing that these brilliant people, who are way smarter than i'll ever be are the ones who are helping my son and uh, so that it really helps me feel less helpless because as a parent you, you do just feel helpless and especially a dad i think it's a natural male tendency to want to i just want to fix it or <laughs> something's wrong let's fix it let's go and i quickly realized with this diagnosis that this is not something i can fix So, you know, it's, that's overwhelming for me and it's it's comforting knowing that I have a great team behind us that are, you know, helping him and, and giving us good advice. So that kind of takes some of the pressure off of me. I don't have to fix it. I can do something that I can do. What can I do? Well, I can, I can help fundraise. I can get on podcasts and talk about it. You know, I can share my experience or try to help somebody else. That's within my you know, scope of control versus, and, I, and I'll, I'll let the science, I'll leave that to those guys because they're doing a great job.
1: So that, I think the impact of being a dad, right? So you're, you're a dad first, and then all the other stuff, you have to just align all the support, right? And how you're doing that. So it sounds like you are navigating that very well <laughs> by at first being here, yeah, right? And recognizing the clinicians are being a part of your life and and the team of uh, professionals are doing their job and you yeah. can do your job to be a dad right
0: yeah well i mean it's obviously we we do the best we can uh, we there's good days and bad days but yeah i i i guess my natural tendency is to try to do a lot of things just myself and i don't like to lean on other people a lot but yeah with this again i i quickly realized I can't do this on my own, you know, single dad, I work two jobs, you know, I keep myself very busy and it's like, all right, it really does take a village. And, uh, fortunately my parents have moved to Cincinnati. Uh, they moved this past Christmas. So I have some family nearby and Jude's family on his mother's side, are they're great as well. So, We're really trying to figure out what our new normal is and what everyone's role is and what everyone's responsibilities are and trying just to rally around him to help him, I guess, feel as, I guess, seamless or as normal as it can be, you know, under the circumstances. But uh, that's kind of our challenge and what our goals are is trying to make his life just as normal as it can be. And school is another layer of resources that we needed help with that we couldn't navigate. And so we're very fortunate again in our school district to have a great team of people there who are supporting and again, helping Jude feel included and normal and, but still giving him the support he needs. So, you know, we're a year and a half into this thing and I didn't know a year and a half ago how we were going to do it. And, uh, fortunately, I didn't have to just do it. And we had all these people who were like, we got this, you know, and that's been huge for us.
1: I love hearing that. That's it sounds like you really are finding your village and pulling it together. Yeah. So tell me about Jude. What is he like?
0: So Jude is, uh, as I said, he's seven and a half, just finished first grade enjoying the summer. He's, he's shy, but he's, uh, when he starts to open up, he's very funny. He's creative He loves Minecraft and Lego and he's, I think he's got an engineering mind. Uh, so, uh, he wants to be a YouTuber someday. Uh, I was like, great, I, we can do that. (laughs) That's something we can do. So, but yeah, he, he loves building and creating. And I think he's more creative at seven with Lego than I was when I was a kid. I had to like follow all the instructions piece by piece he's just, you know, throw them all in a pile and he's going to make something like, how do you do, (laughs) how'd you think of that? You know? So he's a, he's a cool kid and he's very resilient. I've been very impressed, you know, as a dad, that was kind of like my biggest fear was how's he going to handle all this. And uh, I think as parents, we have all these like worries about all the different things that are going to have to happen. Like, all right, he's got to do all this blood work, which, which is needles. Those are scary. He's going to freak out or, Oh, now he has to take pills. I got to, you know, I got to get a pill crusher and this special straw and like, no, he just time for blood work. They stick the needle in, you know, they do their thing. Oh you, I have to take this pill. All right. And just takes it, swallows it. I'm like, wow. Okay. You know, so I've been surprised at how I guess resilient and just, I don't know. This is just what we do. You know, that's kind of his attitude versus feeling scared or negative, you know, and I'm sure he does have those feelings some, but I think we have more of those feelings for him than he does. And that helps us feel better too, just to see that this is just part of life and we're just going to do it and go on to the next thing. So that's, uh, that's helped us a lot.
1: So does he ever talk to you or question, um, you about his diagnosis?
0: Yeah, so the advice they gave us at Cincinnati Children's was don't act like there's nothing wrong or don't lie to him ever, but explain things to him in an age-appropriate way. And that kind of resonated with me cuz yeah, I was thinking how, how do we talk to him about this and and so they gave us, you know, some keywords or some things to use to try to describe it to him so he understands cuz it is important and at this age and we're trying to conserve as much energy and muscle as possible. And like, he's part of that. We can't just let him burn himself out. He has to have some understanding of, all right, I have to pace myself or I have to take breaks. And so, yeah, that's what we've done. And and the doctors at uh, Cincinnati have helped us to kind of explain it to him in an age appropriate way. And so he does ask questions sometimes and, He knows that, uh, you know, there's currently no cure for it. And, um, like I'll hear him say that, like, I know there's no cure, but you know, like just in passing, I'm like, wow, that's, I don't know that he fully understands what that means or not, or not, but I don't know. He'll say things like, you know, I wish there wasn't any diseases in the world or, you know, but I don't know. He seems to just be rolling with it and, uh, you know we have a few books actually there's some kids books that talk about boys with DMD and so we'll read some of those every now and then and those books are great cuz again very age appropriate and so when we feel like we need to have those talks we'll get the books out and read through them and uh so that's kind of how we're handling it right now but you know the the other thing is he's got friends at school and it's hard enough to get our adult family and friends to understand what this is, you know, the other seven-year-olds at school, they don't know what this is and they're not going to, right? So that's kind of been our biggest challenge is giving him some tools to, I guess, verbalize what's going on with his body, uh, you know, when he gets challenged with things like you know he can't keep up on the playground or like nobody wants to play tag with him because he's slow or you know things like that so there's you know kids at that age so they they only their vocabulary is not large enough to be able to say maybe nice words <laughs> all they could say is you know you're slow or you know you're weak or things like that so we're trying to help him navigate that and you know here's how you can maybe explain what DMD is to your friends so that they understand why you have to take a break or you can't participate in gym class like they do or or whatever so that's been a, a quite a thing
1: so those are conversations you have you know like with a 7 year old right and then you have conversations about this with relatives like your parents, grandparents i'm sure those are difficult conversations and then you're working to gather your village together. So what does it look like in, in the schools? Like when you talk to teachers and trying to get them to help you navigate school?
0: Yeah, I was very nervous about it. And we're in a very large school district. And my only history with school was when I was a kid um, and I went to a small school. And so I was overwhelmed just by the school itself, not not just the DMD aspect. So how is he going to, you know, be able to navigate, you know, such a large school at such a young age and we have DMD on top of it. So we disclosed his uh, diagnosis to the district and they were quick to set up a meeting to meet with us and discuss and learn. Apparently he's the only kid with DMD in his school. So they wanted to meet with us and kind of see where we're at. So, I didn't know what to expect. We showed up. There was like 11 people in the room. I mean, there was a OT, a PT, a psychologist, a counselor, the vice principal, the teacher, the assistant teacher. I mean, they had so many people that were there and ready to support. Like, what does he need? You know, you tell us, educate us. And, uh, that made me feel so much more better because, yeah, I just didn't know, you know, is he going to have to fend for himself or, you know, are we going to have to like be emailing the teacher every week to complain about this or that? And nope, they were hundred percent on board. We quickly wrote a uh, 504 for him and, um, you know, got all of the accommodations that he needed. And uh, I was very impressed at how quickly they rallied. And as a district too, they're committed to keeping all that information moving forward as he goes from grade to grade so that we put in a lot of work this year in his first year, but now it's going to be a little bit easier as that information starts to pass on, you know, from year to year. So um, the biggest challenge we have, the only real hurdle that we had was just the walking. It's a large school and walking from the bus to his class and back and walking to the lunchroom. And, I mean, poor little guy, like just he gets – exhausted, you know, he walks to the playground and he's too tired to play, you know, so we are investigating for this next school year, a mobility scooter or something to help him out, and I already mentioned that to the school, they're 100% on board, they'll have it for him at the bus, you know, when he gets off the bus, and so we've been very lucky to have such a supportive group, because I know not everybody gets that, and I see that in some of these Facebook groups where parents are fighting with school districts. And, uh, we were just very fortunate that we had a school district with an attitude that was willing to help and support.
1: It's great. It makes all the difference, right? It does. So at this conference, are you seeking out other dads?
0: Yeah. I've talked to a lot of dads and I have noticed there's a lot of moms that come here, but dads don't want to come. And I've talked to some of the moms too. And they're like, yeah, you know, my husband's just not ready for this yet. And, uh. I can identify with that because I also didn't want to come here when I first heard about it. I was like, I'm not ready to learn what I'm going to (laughs) learn, you know, not yet. And, uh, I don't know, someone made a, I think I posted on Facebook asking in the group, like, have you guys gone to this conference? Like, you know, should I go? I'm nervous about it, you know? And the overwhelming feedback I got was, we had the same concerns. You know, we didn't go till our son was 11. We wish we would have went earlier. And I'm like, man, okay. So yeah, there's going to be some hard stuff, but if there's some good or some, you know, two or three takeaways I can get, then it's worth going. So I just decided, all right, I'm going. (laughs) So here I am and I, some of the other dads I've talked to have, kind of had some similar experiences but it's cool I've met like a kind of a a broad range of dads here you've got the dads who are like the yeah they've done all the research they know everything about (laughs) you know and then you've got the ones maybe kind of like me who are like just nervous to even read or look about it you know because we don't like what we're gonna see but I don't know it's cool to grab everybody's perspective and kind of learn and share contacts so that, you know, we can keep in touch. Cause I don't know, some of those guys seem a lot stronger than I am and I probably need them in my life.
1: Oh, it just give me chills. <laughs> <laughs> this also though talks a lot, this conference talks a lot about science, the research yeah. and so much going on in the hope. So coming here, even though it may be overwhelming to the information, but do you feel some inspiration from the amount of researchers dedicating so much.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. One of my friends texted me, I think it was yesterday just to ask how I was doing. And I just, I was like, it's hard to describe, but if you can imagine a place that has so much sadness and hope at the same time, that's what this is. (laughs) And I'm like, that's weird to say, but you know, everyone's struggling, but we're all like excited too, you know? And You know, in my case, I've sat down with genetic counselors. And once I start to learn more about Jude's specific mutation, then that kind of opens up some conversations. Well, there's all these other trials. Oh, here's one that you kind of fit for, Jude would fit in. And so now that creates like this other layer of, I've kind of been in survival mode for a year and a half. And now it's kind of like, I feel like I'm at that point where, maybe I should start being proactive and looking into some of these things because this is the best science that we have at the time. It's the best we've had ever. And uh, so that's – I'm definitely getting a lot of information and getting a lot more questions that I can take back to my team in Cincinnati, which actually they're here, so I've already been talking to them a little bit. Last night I was able to talk with our cardiac doctor for like 20 minutes about some of the stuff I'm hearing – here And, you know, he can reinforce some of the things or clarify some things. And, um, so yeah, I'm obviously I'm glad at now I was nervous about coming, but man, I'm getting so much information that I don't think I would have got on my own. I don't think I would have been able to navigate all of this without being around, you know, the professionals who can explain it in a way that I can understand.
1: And of course, trusted resources, right? Because I think the internet could create a lot of
0: rabbit holes. Well, and that's, you know, that's the biggest challenge with the internet is, you know, i try tried to do some research on my own, but you don't know where to go or where to look. And, you know, then you just get frustrated and then I just stop, you know, and I'd rather just not know than read some of the stuff I'm reading on the internet. So here it's kind of, I guess filtered maybe is a good word. They're saying, here's the good (laughs) here. Read this, learn this. Okay. Thanks. That's what I needed. I needed someone to tell me what I need to look at or what I need to consider. And because I've found out about myself that I'm not the person who can just figure it out on my own. I really do need help.
1: That's the first step, isn't it? For any of us to just, I need that help. And so being here does that. Yeah. So, I am inspired when I see the young adults, the young men Mm -hmm. here, you know, with Duchenne. Um, Do you find that, have you had a chance to talk to any of them or?
0: (laughs) Honestly, it's a little jarring, you know, because my guy's young and still running around. And like, we all know what the future holds, but I I feel like I have kind of kept my mind away from the future this last year and a half. My strategy has been all right, we have a checkup at the clinic every six months. Doctors tell me what I need to do for six months, and that's all That's all I want to know. <laughs> so I have to do this for six months? Okay, I can do that. You know, six months from now, tell me what I got to do for the next six months. And my mantra has been like, the easiest way to eat elephant is one bite at a time. That's kind of how I've taken it. So obviously we know what the future holds for our boys, you know, with the equipment and whatnot, but I haven't seen a lot of it. And so coming here, it was a little jarring at first, you know, and it obviously makes makes me sad at first glance. But now that I've been here for a couple of days, I'm seeing them around. I mean, they're having a blast here. <laughs> I was in the lunchroom the other day, and I don't even know what they were doing. There was, like, one boy was in the middle. The other two were, like, writing circles around them. I don't know what they were playing, but they were having so much fun. <laughs> and it's like... Uh, you know, they're just, this is all they know. This is, this is life. They're going to live it to the fullest. And it makes me feel better seeing them thrive and hearing different stories and seeing what they're able to accomplish. And, uh, you know, they're they're brilliant individuals who have their own hopes and dreams and to see them fulfill some of those dreams is, is awesome. So it, you know, it gives me hope that Jude will do the same thing. He's been resilient so far in a year and a half. He's probably going to continue to be resilient as, you know, he becomes a teenager and goes to high school. And, yeah, I worry about all those things, but he's just going to figure it out, you know? That's just what kids do.
1: I don't know how anyone could say it better. (laughs) That was beautiful. (laughs) That
0: was wonderful.
1: Is there anything else that you want to share that I may not have asked?
0: There's been a lot of talk with, uh, I'm part of the newly diagnosed track here at the conference. So a lot of the families I met are newer diagnosed families, ranging from there's one family here who was just diagnosed a month ago, another family four months ago. And I still feel new at a year and a half. Like I can't even imagine (laughs) one month then, like how they're doing here. So, um, but it seems like the reoccurring theme that, everybody is struggling with. And I mentioned it earlier is it's hard to like explain all of this to family and friends. And it just, it gets harder and harder to explain it over and over and over again to everyone that we encounter. So one of the cool things that I heard, and I think I already kind of do this, but somebody mentioned like an elevator pitch. So the idea of an elevator pitch is In the corporate world if you get on an elevator with a stranger and they ask you what you do you can explain your career and the 30 seconds it takes to ride the elevator so i think it's important for parents for our own sanities to come up with our dmd elevator pitch of what's different about our son here's kind of like the quick overview and i think that helps people because people do care but they don't know what they're supposed to say to you or what they're supposed to ask. So I think we can make it a little easier on our friends and family by maybe coming up with a, our little elevator pitch to help them understand without getting too far in the weeds. And ultimately we're just trying to live a happy life just like everyone else is. We don't need to get into the weeds with it. And I think that's the, kind of frustration we had early on was just having to go rehash it over and over and over with family and friends and trying to explain it and someone had mentioned that uh in one of our sessions and it kind of resonated with me. I think I kind of do that already, but if I can give some advice to anyone listening, figure out an easy way just to explain it. And you know, I think that's good for the boys too that they can kind of advocate for themselves too with friends. What's an easy way to just kind of explain what this is? so that they understand that something's different, but it's okay. Like We'll be all right. I
1: love it. I love it. I so thank you. I so thank you for sharing all this. And hopefully we get to meet Jude next year.
0: Yeah, that'd be great.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and he'd be one of the ones running around doing all the craziness <laughs> that's going on here with oh, him, yeah. So,
0: Well, he'd be in the pool. That's, it, it, that's, oh, his, yeah. that's his favorite thing is the pools. So.
1: There you go. There's plenty of them here, aren't there? I saw that, yeah. <laughs> So, well, Jason, I can't thank you enough. I really can't. Thanks
0: for having me. Uh, Like I said earlier, this this is something I can do. I can talk about it. And if it helps one person, then all right. That's something I was able to accomplish. And because I can't do a whole lot. And like I said, the science here is so over my head. But if I can help some other families, that's what I want to try to do.
1: Well, I think you will. (laughs) I really do. So thank you. Awesome. Thank Thank you. you. Awesome. Fabulous. Missy is a mother of two sons, both with DMD. From the shock of learning you are a carrier to diving down the rabbit hole of Google and WebMD, Missy shares her journey of resilience and the path she took to find community. She also touches on the importance of self-care and learning how to ask for help. First of all, I want to thank you for joining us and being a part of our My Vibe. Okay. Please tell us all about you and introduce yourself.
2: My name is Missy Mogensen, and I have two boys with Duchenne. Mason is 11 and Jax is 9, and we have a 4-year-old daughter also. And my husband, Blaine, he didn't want to be here. (laughs) Um, But we're, you know, just a family, and we got diagnosed in 2018, so it's still pretty new for us. But our older son, Mason, his decline has been pretty rapid because he was kind of late to be diagnosed. And so he's already in his wheelchair full time. And then Jax is still ambulatory, but he uses a power chair also. And, and yeah, we're just, you know, living life, taking it day by day, literally. So yeah, and here we are.
1: (laughs) So tell me a little bit about the diagnostic journey.
2: So Mason, he was seven and he, you know, he was a crazy boy and we had trampolines and sports and all that. And we had thought he had pulled a muscle in his leg. He was kind of limping, kind of weird for a couple of weeks, and he was having some trouble going up the stairs, and I pushed it away. I'm like, oh, get over it. You know, get a nice pack, whatever. And then my aunt, who's in the medical field, she's like, no, I, I think you need to have him looked at. You know, I think there might be something wrong with his hip. And so we're like, okay, yeah, I guess you're, you're a professional. So I took him to the pediatrician, and and the pediatrician was like, oh, yeah, he looks, you know, his legs seem a little weak, so let's send him for some more tests. And, And one thing led to another with that. And then he was, you know, he had elevated CPK, and all those things and he was diagnosed with Duchenne. And then because we had another boy, the neurologist suggested, oh, we should just have your other son tested just in case, because it's male prominent, all those things. And and then he was also diagnosed a couple months later. So it was it was a whirlwind. January was Mason's diagnosis. And then Jax was diagnosed in March. And then they sent me to get carrier testing and I was a carrier and we have absolutely no family history anywhere. So it was very shocking and we had to learn all about this disease that we had never even heard of all while we had a 3 month old baby girl in the in the in the car seat. So it was like devastating literally. So, and shocking. Like we for many months, I don't think we really believed it. We're like, "Oh no, you guys are all wrong. Like all of you professionals are wrong. There's no way." But then it started. Things started making sense and it really sucked, but you know, we made it through. <laughs> I would say that first year was probably the hardest for sure. Because now we're we it feels more normal. It's just now Duchenne is just a part of our life and we're just, like I said, really just day by day. Like that's what we do. <laughs> if we make it to bedtime, it's been a good day. And then we wake up the next morning, it's we're gonna try to have another good day. <laughs> and that's about it. So, you know, that's all you can do, I guess. So take me
1: back then to that whirlwind of a diagnosis of two children within a few months. Yeah. What is your initial reaction to that? And how do you move forward with what steps did you take?
2: Oh my gosh. It was so after Mason, our first one, it was in January. So everything immediately started. Like we had like 25 doctor's appointments all scheduled for like those next couple of weeks. And then it was like obviously a whole lot of Google, right? And a whole lot of like WebMD, and that was really bad. We should, nobody should tell you to Google anything, especially after that, because it just paints a really scary picture of what it is. And then I still remember, but we started all the stuff right. We just, we just jumped right in. I mean, I don't know. As a mom, like that's just what you do, right? You just figure it out. And I still remember though the the second call. So that first call, it was like shocking, and I was speechless. But then the second call, I was silent and speechless and I hung up and I just remember like screaming because I just didn't believe it because Jax was so much more athletic and tough and, than Mason was. Like we always thought Mason's personality was just super sweet. Like he'd be out on the soccer field and there'd be butterflies and he'd be like, oh, look at that. And we, But we just thought that was his personality. And then Jax was like out there tackling people, you know, like he was so different. And he could do some stuff that Mason didn't seem to be interested in, you know, like jumping on the trampoline stuff playing soccer. And so we, when, when they said that, we just were like, no, like that's there's got, that's got to be wrong. It just has to be. And then it wasn't. And then, so then my other aunt who's in the medical field, she's like, oh, it's got to be Becker. There's no way that they have Duchenne. That's just no way. And it's like, no, they do. They literally do. And then you just hear, start hearing all these other opinions and all this crazy stuff. And And you just are just literally speechless. Like you just, and then we have a brand new baby sitting in a car seat looking at us too. And it's like, oh my gosh, like how are we going to navigate and manage all of this? Yeah. And, but then we have, and we did, like, I remember, like, I don't remember a lot of the details, right? But you remember like these moments and I, I don't think I'll ever forget those first calls. I remember exactly where I was standing, like how it felt like I, it was just, it was a whirlwind for sure. And it's, and it's something I just wish nobody would ever have to experience for sure because it was horrible. So, but then they're still looking at you, right? So then it's like you still have to have composure a little bit because you you just don't want them to be scared because this is terrifying for sure. I think also what got us through it is our faith is really strong. And as a family, I think that helped because even like our older son, that old soul, like super sweet, you know, always, always from the beginning, even now. And his life is so hard. And he's just always like, it's just part of God's plan, mom, you know? And I think that has helped tremendously for sure. Because I don't, I don't think if we had that, I don't know if it'd be that easy because then what would we be trusting in really? We'd be like, oh my gosh, this is so awful. So yeah, I guess that's, that's what it is.
1: (laughs) So you have to start building a community at some point, right? Mm -hmm. For like someone who's just facing this for the first time. Mm-hmm. How do they start beginning to build their community?
2: Well, that's interesting. So, you know, we came to our first parent project conference in 2018, and it was right after the, those diagnosis. And everybody told us, we should go, we should go. And I think it was probably not the best idea because it really terrified us. So then instead of, like, embracing community, we kind of stepped back a little bit because it was really scary. So I would say – if I could go back, right, I would be like, I I would have waited to do that. And I would have slowly joined some of the groups because then I think it would have been easier for me to make those connections. Because now, three years later, I want those connections and I need them, but I'm kind of late in it a little bit, you know? So I think it's a little bit harder. I don't know. I don't know if that makes any sense either. I feel like I'm rambling. But I think that you find that one person that you kind of connect with, right, and you don't let them go. You know, because there is this one lady who we met at that conference and and she's just kind of been there in the background. Like we're not best friends or anything, but she has really been there kind of encouraging and doing little things here and there that I think has kind of pulled me closer to where I feel comfortable enough to be here. And now I feel equipped to deal with Duchenne a little bit better than I did at first. And it was only that one person so I think if you could find that one person, so like when you go to the hospital and you get the diagnosis, right, and sometimes the doctors will tell you. Like that's how I found out about Parent Project is they told me, oh, this is this is this person, this is this organization, you should reach out. You know, there's connect groups, those things. And because I did that, I think that was my my link in, right? That was like what helped get through it, I think, is that one person, you know? So I would say if if you have that chance at your doctor's office or whatever – to get those cards or to get that packet, don't like feel weird to reach out to them, like do it, you know, because I I think it's so much harder to do it alone for sure. And if I didn't have that one person, I don't know. I don't know how I would have navigated those first couple of years for sure. Like, especially like with the kids' schools and stuff, because they were so young without her, you know?
1: So tell me like how you felt for your very first day of the first conference to how your first day, you know, these years later,
2: yeah, okay. My first one, I was obviously terrified and scared, and I did not bring my kids because I was afraid of what they would see and hear. so I made them stay away this time, you know, and and a lot of the times last time we we would leave because we couldn't we couldn't be there, you know, we'd be bawling our eyes out and we didn't really know a lot of people so it just felt really weird and then we would see other kids who were further along and it was like heartbreaking but this time we came like with so much more positivity and we feel <laughs> we're like duchenne pros now right we've been doing it for so many years that it's like i said it's just our life like it's not different anymore because it's just normal and even our kids they they were so excited to come and at first they weren't they were a little skeptical they were they were unsure and i was a little bit terrified again a little scared to let, I mean, now they're 11 and 9, but I, I was scared for them to see Duchenne for all it's worth. We're very honest with them, so they know some of the realities of it, obviously, but they don't need to know all the details of Duchenne, right? And so I was a little worried, but seeing them yesterday with the other kids, like, I was telling somebody else, I was like, it seems like a weight has been lifted off of them, not just me, but them, because they feel like you could just tell they're just so happy and they're like racing down the halls with other kids and they're just, you look at them and they're so full of joy. And I'm like, oh my God, I think it's doing more for them than me, you know? And I was all worried about bringing them. And yeah, no, I think I think it's just because nobody's looking at them weird because everybody knows Duchenne. <laughs> so it's just, it's been wonderful, obviously. And I'm so glad we got, like, we came and I brought the kids because again, I was fighting with myself, like, do I bring them? Like, do I let them see? Like, you know, because it's hard. And I don't want them to be scared. And they're not the ones that are scared. I am. (laughs) So I think that it is so different. Like those few years have really made a difference, you know. And I think once you get past that like initial, you know, denial and get to that acceptance and then and then you lean on that one person, it just kind of trickles. It's like dominoes. And then it just becomes your life. And you know, you don't want to be miserable all the time. And so we, that's what I tell my kids all the time. I'm like, we just have to get through today. Let's just, don't worry about tomorrow or next week. Let's just talk about today. You know, like, and we really live in that. Like if one of the kids is like, what's for dinner tomorrow? I'm like, who cares? We don't know. (laughs) Like, let's not talk about it. (laughs) So I think that that's just what you got to do, especially with all the stuff that comes with Duchenne. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah.
1: Tell me about the boys. Okay. What they
2: like, what they're, you know, how they get along. (laughs) Well, they're 11 and 9, so, you know, mostly fighting. No. Um, They do fight a lot. Oh, my gosh. It's, like, constant. It's, like, competition, like, all the time. Who's faster? Who's better? Who's smarter? I hope that's normal. I don't know. Everybody says it is, so I hope so. Mason is extremely, like, intelligent, very smart, sometimes really annoyingly smart. And he loves chess. He is nationally ranked in his chess game. Yes, I have no idea how to play with him anymore. So I don't even know what he does. Half the time, I'm like, "What? It makes no sense to me. <laughs> but, yeah, he's very smart and he loves chess. like that he will talk you he will talk to you for hours about it. He will teach you. He's very patient with his brother trying to teach him stuff. So, and he's very kind and very old school. Like he's just so sweet. He's just his personality is just very, very calming. Jax, on the other hand, is a little bit crazy. He is very rough and tough. Like I said, that has not changed. He still wants to run and go nuts and play sports. And he is extremely into hunting and loves to shoot bows and arrows. And we've put him in some adaptive programs where he he has learned how to shoot his bow from his wheelchair. They've made special targets for him. And that's been wonderful because I also like to tell them, you know, when they say they can't do something, I'm like, yes, you can. It's just going to be different. And that's that's what we, we're we going to do. You could literally, I tell them all the time, I'm like, you could literally do every single thing anyone else could do. So don't ever think you can't, you know, it's just going to be different and that's okay. And with archery, that has how it's been, you know, and in that he's met other kids. Like we met a, a little boy who plays, uh, does his bow with his mouth and they've become really good friends because they're, they're doing it different, but they're still doing it. And it's, and they're with all the other kids. And so it's just wonderful. I mean, we get a lot of stares, but I'm like, whatever, I don't even care. I've gotten used to that, so it doesn't bug me anymore. And Jax is not as as intelligent as Mason, but he's more street smart, for sure. He could, he could survive in the wilderness probably for weeks without anybody, you know? Whereas Mason, he would fail after one day, kind of like me. But yeah, and then Gracie, she's our four-year-old daughter who is completely unexpected. And then we realize that, again, part of God's plan, right? She's hilarious and so funny, and she she takes care of the boys in ways like that are just so, I don't, I don't even know, I don't even have words to describe it, you know? It's like it was so meant to be that way. And even the boys just love her, you know? And and she literally does anything. They drop stuff, she she picks it up, you know? she She's just like their little caregiver, really, in a lot of ways. And so it just kind of all makes sense how how it's worked out a little bit. But yeah, they're just, they're all crazy, for sure. <laughs> but we just really try to focus on on the joy of the day instead of the sadness because (laughs) we could be sad all day long with Duchenne, you know, but it's just, it feels better to be happy. (laughs) So a lot of times I'm like, everything is like bittersweet because that's really what it is. I mean, everything we do, it's like happy and sad because that's the reality of it, you know, but the other day we watched the Buzz Lightyear movie and, you know, at the end he had the, the chance to like, change his his past right and have a different future and so it you know i i know it's buzz light year but you guys i was like paul i cry and like everything so i'm like i'm like oh my gosh that's like such a crazy thing to think about really like if you take it into into perspective and i asked the boys after the movie i was like so would you guys would you guys change your life if you had that chance like buzz and they and both of them were like no i mean in my head i'm like what i might But neither one. They were like, absolutely not. Like, so again, I think it's you know they they're used to it. It's their it's always been their life. Like Duchenne has always been a part of them, even though they were diagnosed later in life. I mean, deep down, it's always been there, I guess, and and they probably knew that, you know. So, I think a lot of the sadness with Duchenne is is our adult self, right, overthinking everything, and because they're pretty happy. But I mean, I think it takes the adults in the family, you know, to be happy at times too. I mean, they see me crying all the time. So we're very honest, you know, but I think that because we take it day by day also, it's a little bit easier to kind of get through that. And I think that's why they are so good with it because I tell them it's okay to be sad. You know, it's okay to be angry. We could all throw some stuff if we want and we do, but then we have to, we have to get over it also and then pick up the pieces and carry on. So that's what we do. Yeah. So if you guys want to see Buzz Lightyear, it's a good movie, but it has like that that reality, you know, like it really should tug at you because it's a good, valid thought. We all would think sometimes, right? Life sucks sometimes. I mean, we could watch the news for five minutes and know that, oh, my gosh, this is a rough world. Right. And that's without Duchenne. And then you add Duchenne and it's like, okay. But both of those boys who are living it, you know, and and it's hard for them, like some of the stuff they have to deal with is just like I couldn't even imagine. And they're like nine doing it, you know, and both of them said no, they wouldn't change their life like without even a a thought. Like they didn't even consider it. They're like, no, like I want I'm like I told my husband, I'm like, I wish I could have videotaped that so I could have shared that because. It was kind of like mind blowing that they were both like, no. And even our daughter, she's like, no, like they're all good with it, you know? So I think that, I don't know, you know, I think that helps a lot. So
1: so do you think that you could say, great job, mom?
2: I don't say that. I, I'm always usually saying, oh, my gosh, I could have done better. I could have done this. But I like to think that I, I'm doing something right, especially because everybody that meets them, they're always like, oh, my gosh, your kids are so awesome. And I kind of deep down, I'm like, yeah, that's my, my doing, you know, I'm with them all the time. so. <laughs> but, you know, deep down, it's kind of just who they are, you know, in their hearts. Their hearts are good. So I think that the bad stuff that happens, they could get through it because of that, you know. So I like to think it's a little bit because of me.
1: <laughs> I hope you realize it's a lot because okay, thank it, it, you. I yeah. really
2: think you need to. <laughs> okay, good.
1: I really hope you own that a little more than you okay. are.
2: Okay. Yeah. Okay. I need to. Yeah. I mean, you know, as a mom, you tend to just think of all the things that you should have done or you could have done or, you know. One of the meetings we went to, they, they were talking about that. Don't don't shoot on me, you know. Yes. And it's very true, right? And so I, I've kind of try to keep that in my head. Like, I need to just let that go and just stop shooting on myself. <laughs> so thank you for saying that.
1: <laughs> so let's talk about you. Okay. So a mother of three, uh-huh. a wife, right? Mm-hmm. A mother of three, two boys, Duchenne. Like, how do do you find your just the Missy place? Like, where where does Missy go to help? You know.
2: Yeah. Well, this is new for me, thanks to a, another Duchenne mom and her honesty. Right. Sometimes people tell you the things you need to hear, and not the right or what is that saying? There's a saying, right? It's like the things you need to hear, not the things you want to hear. And with her honesty, she's told me, you know, you need you need to find you again. And over the past few months, I've been doing that. I've always been advent with my working out after the boys, obviously. So I like to do heavy lifting and stuff like that. So that was my only outlet, really. And so then I was like, okay, my life is literally Duchenne. And then I go to the gym and that's all I do. So then I had to, you know, I mean, I used to be a person. I used to like to do stuff. And I'm like, I don't know what I like to do anymore. And so I think that's helped. You know, I've her telling me, well, you need to figure it out. So, you know, I've And for a long time, I wouldn't do stuff because I'm like, well, the boys can't do it. So then I feel guilty or we'd all be together and then they wouldn't be able to do something, you know, and it would be like, and she's like, well, you figure it out, you know, like you want to go hiking, you go alone or you take them to a hiking trail that's accessible, you know? And I didn't really think of those things. I know it seems simple, but it's really not when you're, when you're in it, you're just like, oh, they can't do it. They can't do anything, you know? But then I'm always yelling at them not to say that, but in my head, I'm like, but they can't. (laughs) So I think, I think doing that, like Gracie, my daughter and I, will go hiking in the morning sometimes, you know, and she loves to go hiking. And the boys are okay with it. They don't care. They literally don't care. They would rather stay home and play on their PS4 anyways, you know. And so I think finding that kind of balance has been extremely helpful, like for my mental being. And I've noticed that it seems like now that I'm in a better place, do it like finding me again, like I, you know, just going on a walk by myself or going to sit at Starbucks alone for a little while. And I'd feel guilty doing those things, but now I feel okay to do those things, and I feel like everybody will be okay at our house, and allowing my other, like, other people to help. That's still very hard for me, because I'm like, oh, no, it has to be done my way. My way is the right way. My way is the only way. But the last, like, six months, probably, I've really handed that over a little bit, and I've been very open to allowing, like, my sister-in-law to help and to stay with the kids and to do things her way. Because at the end of the day, it works also. It might just be different, but it works. And the kids are happy and everybody's fine. And that's helped tremendously. And yeah, I kind of feel like a different person sometimes, you know, because I'm like, oh my gosh, I just feel like myself again. Like I could I could call her when I just want to go to, to the nail place or some, you know, just silly things like that, that in your head you feel guilty to do, or you don't want to leave the kids to do, or you just, I don't I don't know how to explain it, but those silly little things like getting my nails painted or getting a pedicure or going to the gym or going for a hike, they really just kind of help you, like, remember who you are a little bit, you know, because now I've, like, started kind of doing some painting stuff again and and different things like that that I haven't done probably since before I had kids, you know, that bring me joy, and they help me get through those other days, you know, that are really a little bit harder with the realities of Duchenne, so... Yeah, I think that's helped a lot.
1: And I think too though, you're gifting your sons the opportunity to learn how to advocate for themselves when they're with mm-hmm. someone other than you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Those yeah. are skills that, you know, well, my mom does it this way. Well, how about how do you like it done through yeah. yeah. And so you're 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 giving them those skills, giving yeah. them those opportunity to develop those skills as well.
2: And that helps them, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Oh yeah, no they need to, yeah, right? They need that, right? right? They need that for independence, yeah. I, I feel like. Yep. So.
1: Yeah. At Sunday they're going to want to go out and with a bunch of friends and those friends are going to they're going to need to have to tell those friends what to do. What to do. Yeah.
2: Okay. That's good. Yeah.
1: Right? Yeah. So they have to learn those. I mean just like you're learning.
2: Oh yeah, every day. Right? <laughs> yep. But and totally. you're
1: learning to give up some of those you know, like. Oh,
2: yeah. I mean, it's that's that's probably the hardest thing, too, because in your mind also you're like, no, I know everything about the they're my kids. Like, so I know it all. okay, but I don't. I have no idea. And I mean, I think it takes a group effort, right? Like what that other saying is teamwork makes the dream work. We like to say that. And it's very true. Like and other people have to be a part of your team. It can't just there's there's no I in team. Right. And for a long time, I'm like, yes, there is. But I've had to just kind of accept that there isn't. So we need other people, for sure, to help in these things, even if it's hard or awkward or uncomfortable.
1: So is that a, a talking point for when you talk to, like, a new family here?
2: I, I, yes, because I remember being in the new family, and it was so terrifying. And you could see it on all of their faces. You know, you like, you see them, and they're just so like terrified and heartbroken all in one. And it's like they don't really know what to do. And yeah, I think that if you remind them that it's just it it sucks. You don't ever want to like say it's it's beautiful because it's it's just not. It's awful, you know. But but there is beauty in it and there really is. I think that sometimes I'll see I'll see kids that we, you know, used to used to be friends with or and they're so just naughty, you know, and you're like if Duchenne wasn't here, we might still be friends with them, and then our kids might be naughty. <laughs> I know that sounds awful, but I think it just—I think Duchenne has made us better people, to be quite honest. Like, tr- like truly. And so, to those new families, I think sometimes you're so like compounded with the reality of the crappy parts of Duchenne that we fail to show them that no, that there is some good and and you don't see it now but but there will be like i promise and so i always like also share one of the organizations we got to be part we get to be part of because we have duchenne right and i always tell the new families about it especially if they live in arizona because it's not in every state but there are multiple chapters and it's like it's just an organization that provides random events throughout the year for kids with like special conditions right And everything is always wheelchair accessible. Everything is always, you know, very friendly. Like, it's just amazing. The kids get to do things where they feel like they're famous. You know, they get to go to, like, suites, to, to games and stuff like this. And the kid, like, that's one thing that they always talk about that Duchenne has brought to them is this organization. And they always bring it up because if we weren't part of that, we couldn't afford to do half of these events, right? Especially with three kids. Stuff is so expensive. So... I think that, so that's my number one thing that I tell new families. I'm like, hey, have you ever heard of this organization? You need to join it, you know, because it will, it will be life-changing, especially because then the only other families at these events are other families in special situations like that with other, you know. And sometimes you hear stories that are much worse than yours. And I know this might sound awful, but it, it's kind of helpful sometimes to hear those things because then you're like, you know what, I thought we were, at the end of our you know, but it could be worse. it literally could be worse, and it always could be, I think, so I don't know, I guess does that make sense? it does, it does <laughs> okay, good
1: <laughs> so we had a couple siblings here earlier,
2: okay, as st- girls, uh-huh,
1: and they are so immensely proud of their brothers, so i I know she's still young, so like you know it's it's yeah. you know for us like, but what are you hoping for her, like what are you? Hoping that you know, like the relationship, and it already sounds like she's owned them. Oh, as. yeah.
2: Oh, my gosh. She's so, yeah. I hope for her, like one of the siblings here, Abby, is that her name? Who's in charge of the siblings track? Oh, I don't know. Okay. There's a girl, I'm sure anybody listening knows her name, and it's really awful that I forgot it because she's really amazing. And I and I heard her at one of the other meetings talking about, you know, she's doing the siblings thing. And she's just so wonderful. Like, and you could tell she's just so like chill and so sweet and so cool. And I think my hope would be for my daughter to be kind of like her, you know, because she's like really out there advocating, but she's loving her brother and the way she talks about them. It's like, they're so funny. Like they joke with each other. Like, it's just very, very real. And nothing is is weird, but she's so nice and so kind like genuinely and I think that's what I hope for Gracie because I don't want her to be like you know a lot of the other girls you, you meet sometimes I want her to be kind and genuine and so willing and open open to love everybody and not care about any of like their weird differences right And I think she will like she her personality is just that way. She's just so sweet. And it's just so funny because she we got we snuck her into kids care. I mean, we asked approval because she's only four kids track was for five and up. And I asked, I'm like, hey, could she just stay, you know? And so they let her stay. And everybody's like, oh, my God, she's like the most amazing four-year-old. <laughs> I'm like, oh, thank you. But, but she really is. But it's in her na- it's just her nature. Like, she's just so sweet. And I think it's because she, all she knows is Duchenne. So she's had to be, you know? Like, she doesn't really have a choice. I mean, she has no choice. She's living Duchenne also. And so I hope it just kind of carries on. And she just is a nice, kind, loving person for sure.
1: And I think a lot too. Again, mommy need to.
2: <laughs> I'm gonna leave here just. Yeah, in my I hope back. So. Okay, good. Okay. I'm gonna, gonna get a trophy so. for myself. Yes, there I you know.
1: go. <laughs> or at least go get a pedicure. Yeah,
2: something. I'll do something.
1: <laughs> thank you for no, coming. Thank and you. Share.
2: Thank you all for doing this. This is really cool.
1: Our last guests today are Seth and his father, Chris. Going through the process of choosing a clinical trial can be overwhelming but Seth and his father are very hopeful for future treatments. Listen as they share their advice for families going through similar situations and the importance of dads supporting dads. First of all, thank you so much for being part of our My Vibe. And we want to welcome you. And I would love for you to introduce yourself. Seth, do
3: you want to start? I guess.
1: See, what's your name and where you're from?
3: My name is Seth, and I'm from Kentucky.
4: And how old are you, Seth? 16. And can you drive yet?
3: Uh, no.
4: Not yet, that's right. Yes, very good. We're the Kate family. My name is Christopher, my wife is Tammy, and we've been married for 22 years, and Seth is 16 years old, and so, uh, Yes.
3: Well, welcome. Thank welcome. You. So is this your first conference? No, I've been to a lot of them. Okay. So what's your favorite part about being in here? Mm, meeting all the families and all the kids that are just like me.
4: What grade are you in?
3: And I'm in 10th
4: grade.
3: 10th grade. Do you want
1: to go and study more things about biology? Is that really where you, you are thinking you might want to have a career in?
3: Yes. Yes.
1: Do you know specifically what kind of career in biology?
3: Well, to study sea turtles.
1: Sea turtles. So do they have sea turtles in Kentucky? Mm. No.
4: <laughs> well, we do at the aquarium now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but not out in the ocean. Yeah, we're not near an ocean.
1: <laughs> Does that mean that you, you like to go to the ocean? Yes. Yes. So where's your favorite vacation spot? Hmm. Probably Florida. Florida, yeah. Yeah. They have sea turtles, a lot of sea turtles there. Yeah. Yeah. What do you like
3: about the sea turtles? Mm. Their color and how they can swim very fast in the water, but they're very slow on land. Very smart, very good. Dad, can you give us a little bit of the background about maybe the
1: diagnostic journey and what that looked like for all of you?
4: Absolutely, yes. So uh, Seth was diagnosed at the age of five, for his kindergarten physical. And during the physical, we showed the doctor a video of him playing soccer, uh, because we've always let Seth do what he would like to do, whether it's air bounces, soccer, baseball. And at at an age five, when you're at the AYSO level, all the kids really just float around in an amoeba anyway, around the ball. But always the amoeba would be here, and then Seth would always trying to be catch up to the amoeba. And so we did a video, showed the doctor the video, and he paused the physical, and uh, said, I think we need to send you all over to Children's Hospital and do a CK test. And, and at that moment, you know, Google is uh, a horrible doctor because my wife goes online and Google CK test, thick calves, slow running, and Duchenne popped up immediately. And uh, so the next day, the doctor got the the results and the CK level. Uh, they stopped it, I think, at eighteen thousand. And so now it was time for the uh, testing of the the DNA and what what's going on. And so. Uh, From there, about two weeks later, we got the phone call that it was Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And so, sadly, when we uh, were in Knoxville, uh, the children's hospital there was amazing, but they just don't have care. So the neurologist there said to us, uh, we need to send you either to Cincinnati or Columbus. So that's where we found more about Duchenne and and understanding. And then, so, yeah. So that's our journey, uh, finding out to today. And so you talk about drug trials. How did you make the decision when
1: you're especially three right so Mm -hmm. that kind of changes you know your day to day life right by participating again Seth going back and forth tell us like what the thought process was in choosing a, a clinical trial
4: well our first thing was hope there was a lot of sacrifice on our part having to miss work but at the same time we knew the benefit just for Seth but not only Seth all of the boys. And that's where Seth, you know, when he got to age 10, because we, we started him at age five, six on his first drug trial. But by age 10, we we're like, now it's your choice. Do you want to do this? And he said, yes, because I want to help others, not just me, but other boys in this uh, journey. And so, yes.
1: So, Seth, do you realize that by doing that, you really have been a pioneer in research. Do you feel that? Yeah. Do you remember going to the clinical trials?
3: Yes. And so tell me how you felt about it. At first, I felt worried about it, because I don't like uh, needles or anything like that. So, yeah. But it didn't turn out to be that scary, did it? No. No.
1: So, being here, though, now, and seeing all these scientists, right, and all these great researchers talking, you're just as important as they are. You know that, right? Yeah. Okay, good you obviously are seeing the changes in what's happening in research, you know, Mm -hmm. and what we're, what's being done. And so can you give us a little of your thoughts on all of that that's happening?
4: Absolutely. When we started this journey 11 years ago when he was five and and we did Google uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy, there was not much hope. PPMD even warned us when we called to say, Hey, where do we research? What do we do? And they're like, do not look at anything 2010 and below because the research had not caught up yet. And so we knew that the steroid was coming out. We knew some other things that were happening in the industry. So it's been huge what's coming out of the pipeline. And and for parents, we have to understand this is a lengthy process because safety for our children is so important. So drugs that Seth are on now are finally getting through the FDA. Drugs that we're seeing at age five right now, because Seth has aged out. So these younger kids who are getting involved and who are diagnosed with Duchenne, if they can be involved, it really does help the older boys too, because these medications can help them. So um, yeah, that's that's kind of the whole process. And, and it's exciting to see where PPMD plays in the legislation process, because not only do we work with drug trials, but we also have to talk to politicians in DC to say, hey, this is an important cause. This is a rare disease. We don't have 10 years to run these trials and placebos and everything, double-blind placebos. So it's important that parents stay involved, stay active and understand where these drugs are. That's great. So
1: when you're talk, if a, a newly diagnosed parent were to talk to you, what are some of the things like that? What does that conversation sound like?
4: That is a great question. And so my wife and I, we are members of the connect groups in PPMD. And so we try to find those parents who are newly diagnosed parents. And the first thing we say is stop, pause, breathe, take care of your son first. There's so much information out there that you can become overwhelmed, but usually there's a parent in the household who is the researcher and the other one that's the solver of the problem. And I was the solver of the problem and my wife was the researcher. This will, we see this happen a lot in families. They'll switch the husbands, the, the solver, the wife's the researcher back and forth, but each of you encompass what your desires are. Do the research, do the problem solving, but take it in slowly. I remember as a newly diagnosed parent, I think we drove around for about two weeks, literally in a fog and numbness because we thought it was a death sentence. That's what we uh, research and everything. And it's not. Let me encourage parents right now. There is hope, lots of hope for our boys. Our boys are living to 39. Seth is 16. We've got 22, 23-year-old So parents understand there is hope and PPMD, your local doctors, especially approved PPMD uh, clinicals are amazing folks who will walk through this process with you. So I I hope that answers your question for new parents is is just relax. I also would encourage you find uh, a family who has a boy who's older. Would you not, Seth? so they can kind of walk you through it. Now, we're not gonna shock you with all the details of the whole progress of uh, uh, muscular dystrophy, but we're gonna tell you things as you experience them to go, okay, this is a normal or natural process of Duchenne. And you know what, we have more and more boys walking. So parents, let me encourage you right now, let me encourage you, let your sons do what they want to do. If they wanna play baseball, let them play baseball. If they wanna jump on air bounces, let them jump. Because I still remember today, our first doctor's appointment, the doctor said, do not let him jump on an air bounce. And we went, what? No way. So we've let him do everything but football. That's the only thing. We've stayed away from was football, right? So you've done soccer, baseball. Uh, What other sports have you done? Was there others? Basketball. Basketball, that's right. You did basketball, upward basketball. We didn't do hockey. Yeah. So just take it day by day and treat your child your son, just like you would any other siblings. So, yes.
1: Just talking father to father, mm. what does that conversation sound like?
4: I think as dads, we de- uh, de- compartmentalize uh, everything. We want everything in little boxes. And so we take this diagnosis and we just put it in a little box and when we're ready to deal with it. We'll pull it out. But then when we're not, we'll put it away. That's what I really believe is how we handle it. And then a lot of times too, we veg out by watching TV or we do video games or we do other things that take our mind off of it. Because I think as most dads, we, we're, we're tuned to solve problems. That, that's what we're tuned to. And I've learned that I can't solve this problem. It's just something that I have to learn to deal with. And I don't like the word cope, but hope. That, that's what I like to use is hope. Uh, and so I, I think, and I agree with you, there are a lot of mothers here at the conference, and a lot of dads, I think, they they don't want to know. And so and, and when you're here at the conference, I remember our first conference, I think, was in Chicago when I got to go. You and mom had gone several times, and I said, I'll go. Uh, but it's hard to see the different stages of Duchenne. But we have to pause and remember, these boys that that are really older, they don't have the drugs that these younger boys are having. So what you may see now is not what your kid is going to look like at that that age. or And so, yeah, it's hard for dads. I'll tell you, dads, I I feel for you, and and we're in this together, though. And so, uh, yeah, I encourage our dads. You got this. We got this together.
1: So, Seth, what are you, after we're done here, what are you planning on doing? What are some of the activities they got going on for you guys?
3: Probably going swimming later tonight. Yeah.
4: And I think swimming is a big thing for kids. Why why do you love swimming?
3: Because I can... Run around and jump and do stuff I can't normally do on land. Is there anything else Dad, that I haven't asked that you'd like to
1: make sure that you know, we share?
4: Mm. Dushin is a journey. Take it one day at a time. Find other families and connect with them. They're the biggest support system. They're the ones who've gone through this, especially with older boys, who can advise you on what doctors to use. And, and maybe there are some doctors that we don't visit. Because of bedside manner or something, but uh, really connect with PPMD, with the groups, the families, and get plugged in. And even if you're scared or worried, uh, it, it's a part of all, all of our journeys. Uh, all of us cross those bridges in life, but the, but we're here to support and help our, our families and, and PPMD especially. And so I, that's what I would encourage.
1: Thank you, Seth. What about you? Is there any any like uh, you know words of wisdom I should hear? Mm. I guess just have hope. That's perfect. That's a perfect way to to finish this up. Thank you for that. You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you so much for being a part of this. We really enjoyed hearing from you. And this is uh, so nice, Seth, for you to come and share. And
3: I hope you had fun. I did.
1: Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Insightful Moments, My Vibe, and for supporting voices within the rare disease community. Thank you as well to everyone who shared their story on today's episode. Please visit our website at www.ptcinsightfulmoments.com for more stories and resources. If any of the stories resonated with you today. Please let us know by leaving a review wherever you are listening or by sharing this show with a friend. I'm Paula Orendash and this has been Insightful Moments, My Vibe from PTC Therapeutics.